Today is the closing lesson in four lessons from Jesus' great discourses in the upper room with his disciples. Some weeks ago, we began by studying that remarkable passage of Scripture in which Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and gave them a great example of humility. They were, of course, bickering about who was to be the greatest and were full of jealousy and ambition. He made short shrift of their ambitions by demonstrating before them that he who was the very Son of God himself would stoop down and take their feet, although they were dirty and smelly feet of fishermen, and wash the dirt from them and demonstrate thereby that we were to be servants of one another. In chapter 14, we saw the Lord Jesus speaking concerning our ultimate destiny. We were to learn that this world is not our final home, but that he has gone to prepare a place for those who have trusted in him. We are a prepared people, and he is preparing a place for us beyond this life, and therefore he gives us a glimpse into heaven. Not only this, but we saw in the 15th chapter of John that we were to abide in Christ, that this is the true secret of all real discipleship. It is abiding in him, just as a branch broken away from a tree cannot bear fruit, so we, when we are separated from a vital union with Christ, cannot bear the fruit that he desires of us. Now then, in chapter 17 of the Gospel according to John, we hear our Lord Jesus pray. We are accustomed each time that we meet for worship to pray together what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It is in reality not the Lord's Prayer, but a prayer which he taught his disciples to pray. If there is any prayer that could properly be titled the Lord's Prayer, it would be John 17. For here John, an intimate disciple, listens and hears the Lord Jesus himself give expression to God, his Father, of those deep, intimate longings of his heart. Have you ever heard someone pray, really pouring out their heart before God in earnest supplication, who had no idea that anyone else was listening to them at all? Jesus prayed here to his heavenly Father. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and offered a prayer. It's interesting what he says. Father, the hour is come. What hour? The hour in which he was to go toward the cross. In just a matter of hours, Judas will come with the band of soldiers from the temple. And Jesus will be arrested and taken before Caiaphas and Pilate. His hour had come. This is the hour for which he had come into the world. And here he will offer up himself. His hour had come. Have you ever been in a courtroom? Tense? Drained emotionally? 
and hear the bailiff call out your name and call you to come to the stand. Your hour has come. Have you ever looked into a television camera and suddenly the red light comes on and the engineer points to you and the hour has come? If you're an athlete and you have been on a football field, there comes a time in which the whistle is blown and the man comes forward for the kickoff. The hour has come. Well, here, the hour for which Jesus was born into the world had come. And he seeks in prayer before God to offer up himself here. This is rightly called the Lord Jesus' high priestly prayer. On the day of atonement, there came a day when the great high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies, and there he would intercede before Almighty God for the sins of the people. And here Jesus makes this prayer because he knows that he is making intercession for the ones whom the Father has given to him, the ones who will believe because of their word and who will be called out into a fellowship with him. The sacrifice will be himself. And so he says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. He glorified his Father by being obedient unto the death of the cross. He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Eternal life is not just longevity. Eternal life is a quality of life. It is the life of God in the soul of man. And this is what Jesus came to bring. And what is his description of eternal life? This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Knowledge of God is not a knowledge of theology. Theological erudition does not mean that a person has any real knowledge of God. If you read the 139th Psalm, you will see another great prayer uttered before God. You will hear the psalmist say, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There is an I-thou relationship, a communion with the Almighty. Do you have this communion with the Almighty? This is what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring us into a oneness with God. We know God in eternal life through Jesus Christ. According to Jesus' own words here, this is life eternal, to know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And Jesus continues his prayer, I have glorified thee on earth. How did he glorify God? By loving him and by doing what God commanded of him. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, 
with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus is the only one who ever lived before he was born. He was one with God from all eternity. He surrendered the glories of heaven, and he became one of us and dwelt among us. And now he is about to return to that former glory which he had with the Father. He says, I have shown, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. When that great high priest went into the Holy of Holies and interceded before God, the congregation of Israel stood outside. And the high priest would walk outside and say to them, Now you are clean. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus had earlier said, You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. He is the high priest himself. And God's own which he has called unto himself, he makes clean through the sacrifice of his own body on the cross. They are called out of the world. Notice what he says. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them. And have known surely that I came from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. In another place Jesus says the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. Do the words of Jesus mean that to you? Are they spirit and are they life in you? I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now let me say this. I used to be greatly troubled when I read this passage of Scripture. Jesus says, I pray not for the world. And yet in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And yet here he says, I pray not for the world. Why? There is a world system which is at work in opposition to Jesus Christ. You see it on television every day. You see it all about you in life. You read it in the papers and in the magazines. There is a system at work, a system of values which is contrary to God's system of values. And this is the world here of which Jesus speaks. Now some in that world will be called out. And they will be brought, but they will be brought by what happens as the word is communicated to them. I pray for them, I pray, that is for the disciples, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Keep through thine own name, keep them in the world. Dwight L. Moody was a layman, a shoe salesman. Yet he had enormous common sense. He said about the world system and the world values, a Christian must be in the world, but the world must not be in a Christian. 
I am to be in this world, but I am not to be of the world. There are two equally, and there are two opposite but equal errors that are made here. There are people who withdraw behind the walls of a monastery and stay away from any contact with the world. Withdrawal from it, from its system. That's one error. There is another era in which we so blend with the world that we blunt all our distinctive testimony for Christ. We are to be in the world but not of the world and Jesus is praying for us toward that end. Praying for us. Now let me tell you about two illustrations of prayer for people. Number one, I had a telephone call this week. man wanted to pour out his heart to me. He called me, been chairman of the board of deacons, member of the church since a young boy, and yet he had done a terrible thing. He had been arrested for it, and he had been put in jail. In most southern towns, the jail is located up on the top floor of the courthouse. He said, I looked down on the streets and saw the streets that I had walked going toward Sunday school and church. I thought about my wife and my four children. I thought about my mother who prayed for me. When they told me I could make a telephone call, I wondered who I'd call. Then I called. I called my pastor. My pastor came and paid the price and took me out of jail. Now what worked in this man's heart was the fact that there were others who had been praying for him. Praying for him. Jesus is praying for our holiness. We need to be one in a desire for holiness. Not worldliness, but holiness. Not dominated by the world's way of looking and talking and doing things, but yielded to God's way of doing things. God's way of living. And Jesus here prays for our holiness that lust and hate and dishonesty and hypocrisy may come out of us and that we may be true to him. In our desire for unity, we can have unity if we desire a unity in holiness, such as the unity for which he prays here, a unity of holiness. The other example that I know of here is also one who is well known to me. He told me of his own conversion experience. How he had come home from a weekend of utter debauchery. His father is a minister. How he had broken his father's heart. His father had prayed for him and yet he stayed in one drunken stupor after another. He sinned in every way he could think of it. He ran his own way. And one weekend he came home 
His father preached from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that, that great chapter where Paul speaks of love. They had a closing hymn in the church. And when they announced the closing hymn, this boy in his early 20s got up from the back pew in the church and literally ran down the aisle and grabbed his robed father who was preaching the sermon and wept. And the whole church had a revival as a result of love that was shown there. The boy told me that he realized how much his father had prayed for him. Do you ever hear Dr. Alistair Walker, the great minister of the First Baptist Church in Spartanburg? I've known Alistair for 20 years. Alistair told me that the way in which he was converted was that he overheard his own father praying for him. He came and got down and listened at the crack beneath the bottom of the door and heard his father on his knees praying for his wayward son. And Alistair Walker was converted and Jesus became his Savior and his Lord. Here Jesus prays for us. He prays first for himself and his mission. Then he prays for his disciples. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. No Jesus Christ superstar here, version of Judas. He's lost. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy. He prays that we might have his joy. Fulfilled in us. I have given them, the disciples, thy word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. If we truly live for Jesus Christ, the world's standard of morality will not be our standard of morality. It cannot be. Uh, the Attorney General John Mitchell recently made a, a speech in which he pointed out the breakdown of the moral cohesiveness of America. He pointed out that the man who hijacked an airplane and, and jumped out of, of the airplane in a parachute a few weeks ago and, and succeeded in taking away $200,000 had become a hero across the country. And the Associated Press in a poll of people found that most people secretly admired him. They thought he was very clever to get away with $200,000 even though he jeopardized the life of scores of passengers. And as a result of it, you get other people trying to imitate this act. It happened again only day before yesterday. You find people with t-shirts, D.B. Cooper, where are you, admiring this. The breakdown of morality. Just common, decent morality. No nation can survive this sort of thing. Well, here God has brought us a system of morality from Jesus Christ, a system of values from him. And he has brought this system of values to us. And even though we are in the world, we are not to be conformed to the world's mode 
and the world's way. Jesus prays for himself and Jesus prays for his disciples. He has been obedient to the Father. They are to be obedient to the Father and to him. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Not only a unity in holiness, but a unity in truth. And all our move toward unity. We must seek a unity in truth. Who is Jesus Christ? Does it matter whether or not a person believes in him? And if so, how much does it matter? Does it matter for eternity? There must be a unity in truth. Thy word, O God, is truth, said Jesus. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus believed the scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus believed that the words that he spoke were the words of God. The earliest Christians wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we have an authoritative message from God. And we are made holy as a result of our lives being instructed and informed and enlightened according to that truth. Not according to current faddist theologies that appear and disappear. But this word, this very word of God. Neither pray I for these alone, says our gracious Savior. But I pray for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's people in the Montreat Church. That's people who are listening on the radio. That's believers all over the world. That's the church we sung about a while ago. All over the whole wide world. East, west, north, south, black, white, yellow, it matters not. We are being prayed for here by Jesus. Prayed for by him. And notice that we have not only a unity in holiness, a unity in truth, but we have a unity in mission. As the Father has sent me into the world, says Jesus, so send I them into the world. We have the same mission that Jesus came. Think about it for a moment. He said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. What is the primary mission of the church? One of salvation. One of salvation. This is the primary mission of the church. To bring a saving message. A message that can transform a life and a heart and a home. Here's what Jesus sent us to do. As thou hast sent me into the world, so he has sent us into the world. His own disciples and those of us who have believed in his name. And he is working in us. And here, here is not only the great cause for missions, but it means that each one of us is to communicate the Christian message by the way in which we live day by day. He said that he called us out of the world. You know, I was ordained. Our deacons and our elders are ordained. I can never forget that day in 1955 when I got down on my knees and elders and ministers came and placed their hands on my head and they set me apart 
to the gospel ministry. They set me apart to a sacred calling. I subscribe to vows which I affirm that I believe and I still believe them more than I ever did before. But I was set apart to a sacred calling. Every elder and every deacon is set apart. Every Christian is called and set apart. He is to be one of those through whom the glory of Christ can shine in this world. This is what he has called us to do. Those who believe and accept the authority of the New Testament can find that. All of us will not be preachers in the sense that I am preaching the gospel, but all of us will be preaching a gospel by the way in which we live. I was reading recently a story of a medical doctor in Africa. One day, in a fit of anger, he noticed that some of the nurses had been stealing some things, and he was furious with them, and he scolded them, and he dismissed several of them at one time, sweeping aside the innocent with the guilty. And then later, he began to think about what he had done. He was not a preacher, he was a doctor. He began to think about what he had done and that he had really been unfair. And so he went to the nurse's compound and he called these nurses together. And he said, I was angry this morning. And what I have done was wrong. And I have asked God to forgive me. And I want to ask you to forgive me too. I am sorry for what I have done. And then, do you know what happened? There was a smile of forgiveness and reconciliation that transcended the racial barriers. And one of the nurses said, Doctor, this is the first time a white man ever apologized to us. You see what the work of the Holy Spirit has done in sending this man who though a doctor, not a preacher, is ministering the message of Christ through his life to these people who are there. A unity that Christ has given us, a unity in holiness, a unity in truth, and a unity in mission. Mission that takes us to the whole world. God has been so good to me. He's let me know some wonderful Christians and I ought to be a much better Christian than I am just because of some of the people that I know. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. But I know one rich man I believe will be in heaven. He is formerly the chairman of the board of a $400 million a year company. Every time you see one of these black and yellow automobile parts signs, you see one of the companies that he helped to organize. He was a high school dropout in West Virginia, and life dealt hardly with him for a long time. In the 1920s, he organized a system of cataloging automobile parts much like a librarian can file books. He systemized a whole series of warehouses and organized the National Automobile Parts Association and genuine parts, and he became president and chairman of the board of that great concern. 
A few years ago, he came into a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship is issued in a multitude of marvelously wonderful things which he has done. His gifts and contributions have been big financially, bigger than most of us could ever dream of. But I'm far more impressed by what he personally has done than I am by his money, which has been millions. Not long ago, my wife and I visited in his home in Palm Beach, Florida. And one day he got up early. He put on white shoes and white trousers and a white shirt. It was his day to go to the hospital and work as an orderly, pushing wheelchairs, taking people down the elevator into the x-ray room, showing the love of Jesus Christ, not only with money which he has, been, which he has given, but by humility and time. Had a pocket full of tracks, when an appropriate moment would come, he'd talk to someone about the Lord. Didn't push in a rude, offensive way. But a man that I admire because of his love for Jesus. Now, he is a Baptist. I'm not of his denomination. But we felt a union in Christ. A union in Jesus Christ because we have a union and a desire for holiness, because we have a union in our understanding of the basics of Christian truth and the necessity to get out that message, which is a union in mission. This is it. This is the unity for 